Listener Production. Howdy, you're listening to episode 87 of the Howie Games Part B, featuring Southern Stars keeper and opening bat Elisa Healy, who's shortly going to take you behind the scenes at the 2020 T20 World Cup Final. One question before we get to the build-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does the number 148 mean to you? Oh, that's a lot of runs. Is that what you're referring to? Oh, I am referring uh, to that. That was a crazy day of cricket. It was one of those days where everything just seemed to come out of the middle of the bat and everything that I wanted to do worked. So every time I tried to hit a gap, it worked. So um, This is a 148 versus Sri Lanka off to 61 balls, 19 fours, 7 sixes, a highest individual score in women's T20 cricket for those that weren't aware. To record the fastest century by an Australian. And she's done it. And she's done it in style. Her maiden international T20 100. And it's a sublime knock from Elisa Healy. Well, it was nice to do it at North Sydney too because I love playing cricket there. I yep. don't traditionally haven't made a lot of runs there, but... I love playing cricket there. It's like our mini home and for all the people there that um, a lot of my friends were there that day to see it was really cool. But interestingly enough, that night, oh, sorry, the night before that game, Moddy, our coach, rang me and said, look, we're thinking of Rach opening tomorrow. Um, would you be okay to just bat at five? And I hadn't made any runs leading into those two games. Um, he just wanted to give Rach a go because Moon's made runs in that first game and we'd sort of been getting off to easy starts and... Um, I said, hell no, um, no thank you. And it's nothing personal against Rachel Haynes, who I would love to open, but I want to go out there and do it. And then to come off with 148, I'm pretty sure I smirked at him and sort of gave him a sneaky bird and said, see ya, thanks for that. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, the athletes talk about being in the zone. Mm. Can you identify with that in that innings? I watched the highlights yesterday. Um, You were just smacking everything over the fence and everything that didn't go over the fence went to the fence. Well, yeah, you are in the zone and when you completely trust your bat swing in cricket, mm. you can do whatever you want. You watch Glenn Maxwell do it frequently. He just trusts his bat swing and clears the rope with ease and that was one of those days where everything clicked. Um, you know, I was sort of I wasn't slow to get started, but I sort of took my time a little bit and then once you feel like the ball's coming out of the middle of the bat, you can just cash in on that and the same thing happened I think at the MCG where I just felt like it was coming out of the middle. I rode my luck a little, but just you may as well cash in on that. You could get out pretty cheaply or you could just keep trying to clear the fence and that's what happened. Okay. So now we're talking about coming back in 2010 and no one knows you've won the World <laughs> Cup. I guess it was a bit over a year ago now. I played a small role in hosting the launch of the Women's and Men's T20 World Cup. Yep. You were there. In uh, it was the SCG, I reckon, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was the SCG. <laughs> Don't even remember. Uh, that many career grounds. Yep. <laughs> anyway, I remember. Oh, it was the, there. Yep. Yeah, I remember the that. message from Cricket Australia, and I remember it clearly. And from everyone involved that day, International Women's Day, we want to get ninety thousand plus at the MCG. Come and watch our girls play in the final. Mm-hmm. And I immediately thought to myself, Wow, what a year they're going to have because there's a presumption here that the Southern Stars are going to be in the T20 World Cup final. Tell me about that and how that affects a group. That's a year out. That's a year out. I've never seen a sporting organisation pretty much say, right, it's a lay-down Mazaire that our team's going to be there. You can come and watch them play. I I thought it was extraordinary looking back. 
Well, you look at it now and there's not one mention of the men playing at the MCG in their final later in no, the year. So, exactly. Yeah. And that's my exact point. Yeah. Well, I, I understand why they did it and, you know, we, we should expect that we're going to be there as well. But, yeah, it was a weird, it's a, been a weird lead into the World Cup simply because I've never been a part of a tournament where we've had to promote it. So, you know, for mm. that 18 months leading into it, a lot of us as Aussie players were promoting the tournament, going around for the ICC um, and doing bits and pieces for it. And that was bizarre to start with. Um, but it just shows, I think, the maturity and the professionalism of our group in that we just shouldered all that, we accepted all of it and just saw it as an amazing opportunity to go and create something really special for whoever's in that final. Did you talk about it as a group that people expect us to be there in that final? Like you're laughing about it now because yeah. you've got the medal, but um, and we'll get to what happened in, in the early games, but yeah. by gee, it's an enormous amount of pressure to shoulder, well, I, think, I reckon. I think we blatantly lied in the media for about 12 months about saying that, no, there's no... There's huh. no extra pressure on us. There's no nothing. We're not feeling it. Um, and I think that's how we tried to kid ourselves around it. Um, in hindsight, and now that we can tell the truth, yes, there was a lot of pressure on us. You could feel it at every venue. Um, you know, even just the the people working in the cricket, you know, doing on, the on-ground entertainment and stuff, you could feel them being tense, knowing that we needed to win. And every time we got ourselves into some interesting situations, you mm. could see them tense up. So, yeah, it wasn't just us feeling it. We could see it and feel it from everybody else who desperately needed us to be there in that final. And um, to be able to achieve what we did, I think, yeah, was was quite incredible, quite remarkable. And I think people will be very proud of that, you know, at the end of their career to, to say we literally beat everybody and everything to win that World Cup because we had to. We even beat the weather. Like, seriously, it was remarkable. So we'll get to the specifics in a moment, but of every person I've been lucky enough to have on this show, I reckon the one that's been able to have to deal with the most pressure is Hugh Bowman because every time he got on that horse, um, Midge, he had to win or the whole country was going to ride him. Before you got to the tournament itself and during the tournament, what did you learn if you didn't already know about how to deal with pressure, how did you work your way through it? Well, funnily enough, I feel like the schedule, as crazy as it was, probably helped us more than anything else throughout that World Cup. So we we literally played a game in one state. We packed our bags that night. We flew out the next morning and flew like we flew to Perth after Sydney. Then we came to Canberra, Melbourne. So the schedule didn't allow us to dwell on anything that was happening. So... Mm-hmm. When we played poorly against India, we couldn't dwell on that. As much as everyone was talking about it, we couldn't because we were playing another game in a day's time. So um, the the schedule probably took, not the pressure, but took it away from us to an extent. We couldn't dwell on it. We had to move on really quickly and we had to just try and play our best cricket. We knew that if we played our best cricket, we could get the desired result. But it sort of just wasn't quite clicking for us. And World Cups are incredibly hard to win. You can't play perfect the whole time. And I think we we built ourselves really nicely over that World Cup and we peaked at the right time. We played our best game in the final and ultimately that's what you want to do. You might not play your best game in the semi and lose and you won't get to the opportunity to do that, but we played it the perfect game of cricket in that final and that's the way that you peak towards that 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 ending. And we did that and I think 
that was literally the way we handled it. We just were too hectic to think about it. So leading in, and you mm-hmm. talked about that you were at the face of one of the first times that I've seen an Australian female cricketer criticised in the press. You're leading. I'm going to remind you of this because I can now because of what you did. <laughs> Four balls from nine. Yep. Five balls for one. Three balls for zero. Four balls for one. Four balls for four. After, in 2019, you'd averaged 53 and were no doubt the best uh, batter in the world yep. in the T20 game. Lots being written about you at this stage. What are you thinking after those five straight failures when you hadn't had any failure for so long with a bat? Well, honestly, I, I found it bizarre that I was so consistent because my career has not screamed consistency one bit. So no. to be able to do it for two years pretty straight was remarkable to me and I thought it had to come at some point. I hoped it wasn't going to be the World Cup, so if anything, I'm glad it was the Tri-Series, but I just felt like it had to come and Moddy was actually great throughout that whole time and said, you're not out of form because you haven't been out there long enough to lose any form. You're just not having any, what I felt like was I just couldn't get any luck going. You know, I clothed a half track at a mid-wicket in one of those games against India and, you know, just everything I was trying wasn't hitting in the middle of the bat. I was sort of clothing the ball to the fielders and what I was, my process and everything I was doing was the same as what I had been for the last two and a half years. And the way I approached my cricket was exactly the same. And I just knew that was going to come off eventually. So whilst there was a lot going on media-wise, um, you know, I do read it and I'm different in our household. Mitch doesn't read any of it, but I read all of it because, you know, why not? You'd, I love different opinions on what's going on, but it didn't frustrate me at all. I knew that it would come good. It would turn itself around. And the way I played the game, you can't come off all the time. Did it, Did you doubt yourself at all or no? Uh, well, there was a little bit there, but... I was hitting that many balls that I knew that it just, it was fine. I just, there was something just a little bit off and in your technique, you can feel it. Sometimes when I'm out there batting, you can tell by my bat tap if I'm on today. Just if my bat tap's right and you can, I like (laughs) to hear Steve Smith talk about it as well because it takes him 15 minutes in the nets to find his groove and I'm sort of the same where if I find my bat tap, I'm good to go and I just hit a thousand and one balls just to try and find that feeling again that I had for the last 18 months. And um, I'm pretty sure I did after one of the junction games. Motti told me not to hit any balls and I rebelled and went yeah. down and hit for about an hour after the game. And I found it that, that day and I was like, right, I'm on here, I'm fine. And I don't think it came off the next game, but I knew I hit the ball better. I hit it cleaner and that I would be fine from then on in. So I just had to trust everything that I was doing. So you said, as you said, Midge, it happened in a hell of a hurry. Once it got going, that tournament really moved. You lose the first yep. game to India, so then it's uh, a bit like Australia in uh, the World Cup in England at 99 where they had to win seven on a trot to win the yep. World Cup. You guys had to win five on the trot. Gee, you had some stumbles against, was it Bangladesh? Uh, no, Sri Lanka. Yeah, Sri Lanka. Had, at the Wacker, yeah. Had some stumbles there. You get over South Africa. It comes to a knockout game. You beat New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm following this overseas and all of a sudden I'm looking at the Sydney weather report. It's a semi-final. Take us into that day. So it's a knockout. You finished uh, below, so you need to have a win. And from all reports, Sydney was just about underwater. And the previous game of the day got washed out. Yeah. Well, first of all, getting through our pool was always going to be the hardest thing Uh for us. We had the pool of death. You know, you've got to beat some really good sides in there. 
obviously India world class. Oh, that's been dispatched, just too loose, too much flight. And that is 50. Alyssa Healy. Gone. That's the last nail in the coffin for Australia. What a comeback it has been for the Indian team. New Zealand, I felt like this was their real opportunity to win the World Cup. That was the strongest, strongest side they've put on the park for a little while. It is the tightest of tightest games in the, one of the final rounds of Pool A. Australia getting over the line against their arch enemies in New Zealand by four runs. Sri Lanka, Chamari Adipati loves facing us. So if she peels off 150, we're screwed. The call is to McLanning. She's quick. She's going to come back. They're pushing hard. The throw comes in and they get there. Plenty of cheers from the Australian support. Australia have done it after a tense first six overs. Australia have got over the line. An important partnership with Lanning and Haynes. And a gentle smile on the face of Chamari Atapatu because she knew how close Sri Lanka got. Mm. So we had some Bangladesh we'd never played against before, so there's a lot of unknown there. Slog sweep all the way again. And that is the 50 for Elisa Healy off just 26 deliveries. So we had some huge hurdles to overcome there, and we just knew that if we fought our way through it, we'll be fine. So once we managed to do that, open the curtains on the morning of the, the Thursday semi-final and thought, we are screwed. I was at home that day because I was actually going to sneak in around a golf with the ladies beforehand. <laughs> uh, we called that off about 7am because it was absolutely bucketing down. Um, and so I just bummed around home and uh, tidied up a little bit and decided I'd head back to the hotel about midday and um, ended up having a little nap and woke up at 3pm and opened the curtains again. No chance. I ended up actually texting Dane van Nierkirk and said, where are we having beers afterwards? Because um, so pumped for you guys that you're in a World Cup final. Like this is a really good chance for you to win. And, um, you know, sent her a photo of the radar, which was all blue across Sydney, like the whole, almost the whole state. So are you feeling at this stage um, loss? Like, are you feeling, wow, this whole dream that's been set out for the last two years about the MCG, Katy Perry, yeah. uh, 90,000, we're not going to get a crack at it? Well, it was a weird feeling because I was so optimistic right up until that 3 p.m., I reckon. I was saying all week, we'll be right, we'll be right, we'll be right. And then that 3 p.m. came and I was like, we are doomed. And it wasn't loss. It was just sort of disappointment that, you know, we didn't get a crack at that opportunity and disappointment that, you know, the tournament itself, you know, I hoped that and I'd be I would have been there at the MCG anyway and I hoped that the two teams, South Africa and India, were gonna get, you know, fifty, sixty thousand people there. I'd be there, you know, making mm. sure that I'm supporting the event. But I knew that it had to be Australia, India to make to make that ninety thousand people and it was just disappointment for the tournament in itself. Um but it was almost a feeling of, well, we didn't lose the World Cup. We got beaten by the rain, so we didn't. It was more just we didn't get a crack at it. But yeah, I, I still don't understand how we got on that night. And yeah, so, so in the rooms, uh, take us into the rooms an hour yep. and a half before the game. T- tell us about the conversations with with Motti and uh, and your teammates. Well, I guess we still we still held on a little bit of hope. I think I ended up doing a Fox Sports interview, and I was pretty much saying, "Oh, it's just disappointing result," and you know, it was obviously sad for the Poms that. Their game got washed out as well and they didn't get a crack. I thought that would have been a ripping game of cricket. Um, and I was just like, well, disappointed. Where I was standing doing the interview was almost a puddle. 
of water on the outfield and mm. yeah it was uh, at no stage even then did I think it was going to stop and then I think it got to the game started at seven so we must have started warm up about six and it started to ease and they wouldn't let us on the ground all I wanted to do was just walk out onto the field and see how wet the outfield was and we weren't allowed to go out there because the groundsman hadn't handed over the ground yet so they wouldn't let us walk past the LED signs. So where I was walking on the other side was quite puddly and I just wanted to see if it was as wet. And then the rain sort of lessened again and all of a sudden everyone's getting their spikes on and mm. we're going out for warm-up. And that was bizarre. And then Meg was saying, well, well, I ended up speaking, sorry, to the ICC and they were saying, well, you could potentially st- start on time here. We're going to do everything possible for you to get on and start on time. And it was about 20 past six. So everyone's rushing in, putting their spikes on and making sure that we're ready to go just in case the seven o'clock start time came. And all of a sudden it's 20 past seven and we're on the field. That was bizarre. It's Jonathan to get Australia through. The ball goes, the bat goes. It won't be enough. They're going to come back, the South Africans. But with that delivery, Australia finds themselves into a home World Cup final. They lost the first game against India. They struggled against Sri Lanka. They were great against Bangladesh. They fought hard against New Zealand. And you can see what it means. You go on and win the match. <laughs> yeah. So the, the perfect final that everyone wanted that wasn't involved with those two teams is happening. But your mate that you're at Cobram Baruga with <laughs> as a nine-year-old has come through with shoulders and issues and ripped her hammy off doing everything she can for her country. Yep. Tell me what happens between you and her at some stage in the lead-up knowing that she's not playing anymore. It was just a sad moment. I think when we saw it all happen at Junction, um, you know, she ripped her hamstring off trying to go for a one-legged run-out at mid-off, like mm. ridiculous scene. She shouldn't have even been out there on the field in the first place and still put her body on the line for the side, which is very pez. This is not a good sign for Australia. If they manage to get through here and go through to the semi-finals. That was a good pickup, and she threw off balance. The hamstring. Um, and it was just a feeling of sadness, and I think for me what my feeling was that I was disappointed for her because it felt like we were building for this moment and it should have been just for her. It felt like she'd she'd shouldered all of this whole women's sport movement for a long period of time and it all led to that moment at the MCG and for Pez not to be out in the field, potentially bowling that first ball in front of 90,000 people was just sad. Um, and that's how I felt about it and, look, I... I never really had a conversation with her. All I could really do was hug her and just because I knew how sad she was. You could see how sad she was. That, um, I think she was more upset that she couldn't be out there to help the side more than anything else. That, that's probably what it was. Um, but it was just a, a feeling of sadness for her that she wasn't there. But it was great to have her around the group still. She, as disappointed as she was, she still gave everything she could for the side off the field um, in the preparation for those two huge games and, yeah, it was just great to have her there and hopefully she got to experience it to the, as best as she could. International Women's Day, a crowd of, what was it, 86,174 <laughs> people at the mighty MC. I just keep rounding it up. Yeah, 90,000. Let's, let's say 90. <laughs> um, before we get to the game, tell me things that I don't know about, about you and that day. Uh, 
what did I do that day? Well, actually, uh, this is probably naughty and I shouldn't say this, but the night before um, I ended up going out, I had a whole group of ladies from my golf club here in Sydney (laughs) coming down for the final. And the day of the semi-final, thinking I wasn't going to play, I was thinking I'm going to have to start booking flights to go to Melbourne because they're all coming down to watch me play. I can't not be there if we're not in the final. So I'm thinking about booking flights and so they're all like, oh, well, what are you doing? Obviously we're there. What are you doing Friday night? Let's go for dinner. I'm like, oh, okay, I've got to catch up with a few people beforehand because literally everyone from women's cricket is there in Melbourne and I kept bumping into people. So I wandered into town, um, took Sarah Ailey with me who was down there um, Mm -hmm. supporting as well and um, to meet this rowdy bunch of Long Reef women who had already had a 1,001 beers and we met at... um, (laughs) One of the ladies at the club, her son owns a little restaurant down in um, down in the CBD there, and we went we went in there, and lo and behold, I've had three beers, and <laughs> the I'm night like, before. and I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I need to leave right now. And then, as it as it happens, so another one of our um, mates walked past, and she has two kids, and they're on a scooter. So here I am in the middle of Melbourne CBD at about eight pm on a kid's scooter, racing one of them down the street, <laughs> and. Holy dooly. Uh, it's Holy like dooly. I didn't even know that I had a World Cup final the next day. But anyway, put a few put a few waters in and uh, we wandered back to the hotel and Mitch got in late on the about 10 p.m. that night and um, put myself to bed and um, got up the next morning and I was just, I guess, anxious for it to start. I just, all I wanted to do was get there and have that feeling of 80,000 people. I, I never thought I'd get to experience it. All I wanted to do was walk out there and feel that energy from the crowd. And even there was probably 40,000 there as we started to warm up. And for the first time when they announced the two teams, there was a bigger roar for Australia than there was India. And I really fed off that and I laughed and I cheered because every time we play India, there's more people roaring (laughs) for them than Mm. there is for us. So all of a sudden it felt like everyone was on our side. And, uh, yeah, once we got out there on the field, I just did all my warm-up at 100 miles an hour and then just sat down and watched Katy Perry play music and that was pretty cool. Back to Elisa in a moment. The last episode of the show featured he of the magical penalty, Johnny Aloisi. Cue the goosebumps. And, you know, all I could hear were sort of whispers in the crowd. Is this it? Are we going? If he scores this? It was it was that sort of surreal moment. Didn't hear massive noise. It wasn't 83,000 people screaming. It was, um, you know, th- th- maybe that's the zone. I don't know. When people say you're in a zone, that was it for me. I, I remember getting the ball, putting it down, walking back with the, the run-up was, you know, I was in line with the um, the outside post and on the 18 and so I knew every step that I had to make and, and hit it the exact the same I hit the day before in training. That's Johnny Aloisi on episode 86 of the show. Alrighty, back to Midge. What's the largest crowd you've played on in front of before the 87,000? Probably the 17,000 that we played out against India in the first game. I, I, probably that's the most. Uh, I can't pinpoint any others. There's probably been quite a few big crowds in India, but I don't know if there was final numbers. The gaze of the cricketing world focuses on the Melbourne cricket ground. Two weeks of action culminates now in the final of the Women's T20 World Cup 2020. Australia taking on India. So before you walk out to bat, before we get to that point, 
at some stage when you're out there, Katy Perry's playing, there's 40, 50, now 60, now 70. I've seen that ground fill up and, yep. and what it can do. Do you have a point where you realise the enormity of what's ahead of you? Well, I we finished our warm-ups and we had to be off the ground at 20 past six, which is bizarre, 40 minutes before because Katie was going to come on. And uh, so I was sitting in the dugout and um, they the, the broadcasters actually showed footage of the outside of the ground and there were still thousands of people trying to come in the ground. And I thought mm. the ground was looking pretty full. There was still a heap of people outside and I had a massive smile on my face and someone walked up and what's going on? I said, did you just see that vision? And they're like, no. And I said, there's still thousands of people trying to come into this ground. This is going to be huge. And then I'm standing there uh, alongside a few of my teammates watching Katy Perry sing Raw (laughs) and Pez turns to me and says, do you not need to go and pad up? You're about to go open the batting for Australia. And it was probably like quarter to seven. (laughs) I'm still in my training kit, like singing along to Katy Perry. (laughs) So I'm like, well, crap, I better go and pad up. And so when I did that and then just strode on the field and it was, we lapped up every minute. And I, I still say that I think we embraced that day so much more than India did. And not one group, it felt like not one of us was nervous. We were just calm and just saw it as such a great opportunity to play in front of this many people and let's put on a real show. And um, we just embraced every moment of it. One more question before your innings. Because yep. um, I'm loving this description. I'm loving the smile on your face in this corona world with you on <laughs> Skype on the other side of the country. Walking out to bat yep. in front of the 87,000 now, you're leading out the Australian charge in the biggest game. Let's be honest, it's the biggest game of your career now because of what's at stake. Yep. Women's Day, 90,000, the build-up, the fact you nearly weren't there, the fact you'd had a run of outs prior to the tournament. What's that walk out like to bat? when you're used to playing at the most in front of 17,000 and now there's 87, I, I can't imagine it. Well, Moons and I, every time we, um, she's super superstitious. So I, and I'm not really one bit. So, but we have a little routine we do when we go out and she always steps out first and then I walk out. That's probably the only thing I do. I just walk out second. I don't want to ever be first. And um, anyway, so the ground announcer introduced us and I have never heard a roar like that in my life. And I turned to Moons and looked at her and I said, oh, how good is this? And we did a little fist bump like we normally do. And we both had huge smiles on our faces. And it was like, for me personally, the nerves just disappeared Hmm. and it was just calm. And I saw, I remember taking my mark, sort of asking for centre. And um, when you're the first batter out there marking centre, that's a really tricky job because you don't want to stuff it up for everybody, right? (laughs) And I'm terrible. Like I always think I'm asking for centre and they're like, that's off stump. So I have to move the bat like a fairly large distance to find middle. And (laughs) so I remember laughing because I'm pretty sure I did that that day as well. And um, so I marked centre. I looked up and Deep Disham was there with the ball in hand fidgeting. She's like fixing her socks, fixing her shoes, fixing her shirt. And I thought she's way more nervous than I am and I knew that if she was going to throw up the first ball all I had to do was get to it on the full that's all we worked on the day before get the ball on the full and then just hopefully middle it and then it all happened. Healy's away Australia away first ball first boundary of the contest. So first ball goes for four but you dropped early. Mm. Dropped it. Shefali Verma has put down what should have been a straightforward catch. Hardy mouth? 
No, because uh, I keep saying this. I have never hit a ball so hard in my life. I don't even know how she got a hand on it. I huh. thought as soon as it came off the bat, it was four. A, I didn't know. I don't know why I tried to hit it in the air. There was a massive gap there. I could have just hit along the ground. Like Dad probably said that to me after. But uh, I hit it that hard that I'm surprised she got a hand anywhere near it. Um, but that's the the nature of the way I play the game. Is I hit the ball in the air, and sometimes you got to have a little bit of luck. And there it was. And yeah, I knew I was middling the ball and I just had to keep trusting that. Did you trust that from the start in that game? Did you think, right, I'm going to go out and bat exactly the way I always have? Yes, definitely. And I knew that if I went and did anything different to that, it would make the team nervous. I feel huh. like if I was scratchy, if I was, um, you know, clothing balls here and there, it would make the dugout really nervous. And we speak about that a lot of it. Moons and I set the tone of the innings a bit, and we're both very different players. Um, you know, I like to, to take the game on, whereas, you know, her role is to really anchor the innings and, and bat smart, and that's what she's, she's done for a long period of time. And I just knew that if I went into my shell that the group would get nervous, and so I need to come out, puff my chest out a little bit, put a smile on my face and just bat, and for it to come off, I think really calmed the group, and then we were just on from then. Congratulations on your innings, 75 from 39. Well, it deserves congratulations because we've heard your story of what you've gone through to get to that point, um, the ups and downs. When you're out in the middle and there's 87,000 people there and it's a World Cup final against India and you're smacking them everywhere, was it just a great deal of fun? Yeah. Over. Shafali Verma. Couldn't get anywhere near it. Healy dealing in boundaries. There she goes again. Now the fielder will watch it sail over. What a start this is. What a start this is for Australia and for Elisa Healy. Goes big again. And we'll put it in the gap. We'll go for four. Might well be a game-changing 50 this. It's gone over. It was hanging in the air for a while. Just over. She picks up another six, and that is a hundred partnership. The big players stand up in the big moments, and Elisa Healy is delivering this evening in Melbourne. It just felt like everything that tournament went India's way. It just it felt like they had the rub of the green the whole time. Um, you know, they stuffed us around a lot. Every time we went to group check-in, they were late, and so it delayed us, even little things like that. So it just felt like... At the airport. It was like me versus huh. India out there. I was like, righto, you've had the rub of the green this tournament. We're going to go out and show you how to play cricket. Genuinely how I felt. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to smash these these girls everywhere because um, I had the because <laughs> I had the shits. And I think that's like everyone kind of felt that, that they sort of... They just breezed through that tournament. Uh, everyone else had some some tricky things to deal with and um, it was just like it fell into place that, you know, we'd done all the hard yards to get there and, you know, we were going to play with some really good cricket and that's genuinely what happened. And you win? So you win. You win. And then what happens? Immediately out on the ground. This is skied. A chance. And with that, a magical moment in Australian sport has been achieved by one of our greatest sporting teams. The Australian women's cricket team win their fifth T20 World Cup title in front of a magical crowd at the MCG. Um, we celebrate like crazy. I'm pretty sure 
I got yelled at for still having my helmet on because when you dive into the group of people with a helmet on, it can create damage. <laughs> so I got yelled at. But I, I actually think that it shows our group, the the way we are as a team, that we all were in a little a cuddle for a minute, but it was literally only about 10 seconds and someone said, we should go over to Pez. So that was how our group is, that we want everyone to experience that Um Generally, we're all out there together and we're having a laugh and carry on, but someone said, let's go and make sure we, we hug Pez and Taylor, who was, who was on the sideline as well. They obviously can't run out to the group and um, give us a cuddle. So we literally stormed over to the bench and hugged all our support staff who'd done so much hard work for us. We hugged Pez, we hugged Taylor and made sure that they were celebrating as much as we were. So just shows what a, an incredible place our group is in at the moment that we're a really good team of people. Everyone's different, but everyone gets along really well and we just play for one another and play for the team, which is very, very unique. How on earth do you end up on stage with Katy Perry? Oh, my God, it was the coolest thing ever. I don't know how I ended up there. Max, Maxie from ICC ended up grabbing me because I was in the crowd. I was in the mosh pit um, with all some family and friends that were in there and people were having photos and I was passing the medal around making sure everyone had a, had a go of it. And he grabbed me and said, your team's going on stage. You need to get backstage. Don't know how it happened. Unsure how it all played out. But Katy Perry, what an absolute legend to let us share the stage with her. Sophie Molyneux at one point literally cut her off to walk <laughs> down the catwalk accidentally and Katy just let her go and have her moment in, in the limelight. And if you haven't seen that video, you need to watch it because it's just Sophie down to a T. And it was just pure excitement on everyone's face. And I even remember walking through the... Uh, underneath the car park around the MCG, walking back to the change rooms. That I've never seen a smile so big on Meg Lennon's face when she said, oh, my God, we just danced on stage with Katy Perry. And I said, Meg, we just won a World Cup. And she goes, <laughs> yeah, but I just got to hug Katy Perry. <laughs> and so everyone was so excited about that. And then the medal on our net kept reminding us that we'd done something pretty cool as well. I know that you've listened to some of the episodes of the show, which I'm tremendously happy about. <laughs> and you probably know that you get questions from my kids in this podcast. Yep. Um, First up, you get my, wow, she started as a seven-year-old on this show, but now she's 10. I don't know where it goes. Um, you get my daughter, Sky, otherwise known as The Pickle. Um, this is her question for you. Hopefully you can hear it down the line. Hi, Elisa. Pickle here. Congrats on smashing them in the World Cup. I really like Katy Perry. My favourite song of hers is Raw. What was it like dancing on stage with her? It must have been so cool. <laughs> I'll tell you what it was. Uh, <laughs> what what I found strange is that, well, I didn't really, I'm not a huge, well, I'm obviously a fan of Katy Perry, but I don't know all the words, right? Yeah. So when Firework came on, it was, I was singing karaoke. She had a teleprompter out on the stage. So Did I she? was singing karaoke. Yeah. I, <laughs> I said baby brain, maybe she, because she was pregnant, she might have forgotten a word <laughs> or two, but I was singing karaoke on stage with Katy Perry, which was pretty cool. But I was more pumped about, I was doing like the typical rock star thing where you put, where you lean over and you high five everyone down in like in the nosebleeds and um, it was cool. There were so many young kids that were like grabbing at my hands and stuff and I was like, this is an amazing experience. But um, oh, she was an absolute legend and even on the way off, they obviously rushed her off and um, her Range Rover was there waiting for her. But we all said thank you on the way through and she said congratulations, like thank you very much and just an absolute legend. So I wouldn't call what I was doing on stage dancing, but it was pretty fun. <laughs> What's your favourite memory of the celebration? Um, oh, I reckon, well, as a as a cricketer, going back out there uh, about 2am and sitting on the pitch as a, as a group of people and support staff, um, that was special. 
seeing the team song out there after everyone had gone home and all the staging was down and it was just us and the MCG, that was very special. But to see about 150 people in that change room after we won a World Cup was a, a really special feeling for me. It gave me a real buzz that so many family and friends had, you know, given up stuff to come down and watch us play and and we were so welcoming of having them all in the change room and everyone had such an amazing time in those rooms, passing the trophy around, having photos with people. Even Kari Webb was in the change room, so people mm. having photos with Kari Webb and I just thought that was so special that we were able to get everyone in there to experience it with us because ultimately our families have given up a lot of stuff for us to get to that moment and to celebrate with them all was pretty cool. It's a few weeks ago now. Has the enormity of it sunk in? And when I say the enormity of it, Midge, I'm talking about what it... I don't know. Do you view it as doing something enormous for women's sport? How, how do you view that line of things as opposed to, for want of a better term, just a cricket match? Do you look at it as an enormous situation for sport and women's sport in this country and around the world? Yeah, definitely. I, I said it all along that this tournament was almost was always more about just the game of cricket. It was it was a symbol of something that of change really. It was something that was going to change. And the coronavirus has sort of thrown that into whack that mm. we can't really ride the wave of what we just experienced. But it it has changed the game for women's sport in this country. It's put a new marker out there that eighty six thousand people came to a women's sporting event in this country. And cricket of all things. You wouldn't have thought 10 years ago, that if there was a women's sport in front of 90,000 people, it would be cricket. You would have thought, you know, they'd play a big netball game or even the soccer, the Matildas would get sort of that many people. But for a cricket side to do that, one of the most unglamorous sports in the world um, is amazing. So, yeah, we always saw it. We saw the enormity of it and I just hope that it's not a one-off. And I said that it might be a one-off for me in my career. I'm sort of coming to to the end of it but I hope for the you know the Ashley Gardeners or Sophie Molyneux out there that it's not a one-off for them I hope they get to experience something like that over and over again um, not just in our country but you know all around the world so yeah I think it's a it's a start of something a start of cultural change hopefully in this country that we can just accept that it's sport it doesn't matter who's playing it male or female um, just enjoy it for what it is and I can see the development that us as players have made in a very short space of time becoming fully professional. Only for a couple of years, I can see the improvement in our game and the way that we play the game, the way we move as athletes. And I, I can see it only getting better and better and all those complaints about what it looks like will, will soon go away, I think. It's tremendously exciting, isn't it? It's tremendously exciting for someone that grew up getting a, an email about why is this girl in the team <laughs> to coming back from a World Cup in 2010 and there's no one at the airport to this and what's the next step. It's so exciting. It is, and I guess it it's not exactly lim- limitless, but it it is exciting about what, you know, this sport in particular, I'm proud to have been involved in this generation of cricketers that, you know, it seems like Cricket Australia and, our, and the ACA, um, you know, have really paved the way, not just for our sport, but for a lot of other sports and leading the way and, we keep putting the marker out there and a lot of other sports in this country and a lot of other teams around the globe are trying to reach that marker and I think it, it's really exciting to be involved in that change and and to see it grow and develop. So I'm, I'm excited for what it's going to look like in 10 years. I can't wait to, um, you know, sit there and in front of a full MCG crowd and watch the next wave of 
Mm. Unbelievably exciting cricketers come through and, you know, be at the peak of their career. Hey, not easy to watch it on the coast of Costa Rica. I'll give you the tip right now. Well, we appreciate the support. Thank you very much. Well, I reckon I was the only one in Costa Rica watching via some illegal stream. All right, now, as we get near the end, you get my son, um, the big penguin, loves his cricket. Um, unpredictable as to what he'll ask. Right. I don't give him any uh, any ideas. He just rolls out with it. He's unpredictable, but this is what he had to say. Hi, Alicia. Big penguin here. Dad and I play cricket in the nets heaps. I've just started playing the hook shot. Boom. Do you and Starkey play cricket in the nets? Fascinated him. He's like, Dad, must they play as much as we do? I'm like, I don't know, mate. You'll if, have to ask. If I had a dollar for every time I asked that question, I wouldn't need to play <laughs> cricket anymore. But, um, yeah, actually, we tried and we've actually been banned from training together because we're too competitive. I don't know if you've seen the, how competitive we are on the golf course, but that's the only place that we can truly be competitive because we got banned from training together. Did um, you? Uh, sorry, Mitch's best mate, Ash, who's uh, my batting coach, um, runs a little cricket centre out in the inner west of Sydney. And uh, he, I, I've trained with him for, for as long as I can remember now. He's done one, wonderful things for my batting. But anyway, Mitch came along one session late one night and, we thought we'd just share the same net, um, you know, slow bowling for Mitch. Um, unlucky, you have to practice your technique. And for me, it was just sort of hitting through the line. And all of a sudden, we st- started hitting the ball a little bit harder and we're standing <laughs> in the net and all of a sudden, the balls are starting to come back at Ash. And we got banned from then on in, no training. And um, the the only time he's really ever bowled to me in the nets, apart from the whole time growing up, was when he was coming back from injury. And... Uh, he said, oh, I need a bowl. And I said, oh, I'll jump in and have a bat. Um, he was only off the half run. Um, and I was fine with – it was – the pace was fine. It was the bounce. I found the bounce really uncomfortable. You know, we don't have a lot of six-foot-five female bowlers, so the ball's coming from about seven foot. Um, we don't have a lot of that in our game. So whilst the, the, the speed of it being about 120 at the time um, was fine, it was just the bounce. It was hitting me on the stickers a lot more. So I found that uncomfortable. And then once again, we started getting a little bit competitive – he started bowling a little bit too fast for me, <laughs> for for my liking, and faster, sorry, than what he should have been bowling in his rehab. So uh, that ended pretty quickly. <laughs> I'll let I'll let the penguin know. Hey, uh, you've been so good with your time. Although, let's be honest, we both got a lot of it. We could make this ten-hour <laughs> episode in the current world. I normally finish the show, and I'm tremendously grateful for your time. As to what advice you'd give to the youngsters mm-hmm. out there about sport or life or what have you learned along the way that you reckon can help young people growing up want to succeed in whatever they do, whether it's playing cricket or being a mathematician or even a marine biologist? <laughs> well, I sort of I figured out a couple of years ago that the best way that I can be a role model is to be a normal person and because that's what I've been throughout my whole career. I've been a I've been a reluctant, like I said to you earlier, a reluctant athlete, um, a reluctant professional athlete, definitely. Um all I've really done is enjoy every single moment of what I've done and I've got some unbelievable memories of the last 10 to ten to 12 years of, of my career and because I've enjoyed every minute of it. I've knuckled down and I've worked really hard, don't get me wrong, but I've enjoyed every moment of doing that and I think that's given me some unbelievable memories. So no matter what you're doing, it doesn't have to be sport related, it could be your job. If you genuinely don't enjoy it, then you're in the wrong field. So for me, just go out there, enjoy everything you do and uh, like we mentioned earlier, that there's been some some crappy times throughout my life. So to have that perspective, um, you know, it was sort of forced upon me. But I think if you find that perspective to be able to enjoy it, 
then, you know, you're going to succeed in whatever you do. So go and do that. It's a great answer. If Matthew Mott listens to this podcast, the uh, Southern Stars coach, will it be the first time he realises you had three beers before you went out and smashed him <laughs> in a World Cup final? Um, probably, but I'm okay with that. Look, let's be honest, I've stayed true to myself throughout my career, yes. so uh, we'll roll with it. I'll deal hey, with the consequences. Uh, Elisa Midge, however you like to be called, <laughs> um, I really appreciate it. I, I'm flat that we couldn't do it in person, but the episode's been everything I hoped it would be. Um, you're a star. You've been through such a transition in Australian sport as far as the women are concerned. What's it been like for you to just sit back and reflect on some difficult times that I wasn't aware of, as I said till yesterday, to the crowning glory of, of being out there on the MCG? What's it like to talk about it all? Uh, it's so cool. I think I wish I'd retired then and then at the MCG because I feel like there's never going to be a better moment than that mm. in my life. And I wish I could have just walked away from the game at that very moment. But Still lots to achieve, but um, oh, it's just, it's really special. And to be able to talk about it now and I guess relive those little moments along the way. And you know what, not just for me, but I feel like it's really special for Mitch as well, who's been there for the ride a lot. And he's had to deal with me blowing up about, you know, situations where the women's game is at and, you know, potentially how it's being treated. And he's had to deal with a lot of that. So for him to be there and experiencing that, experience that as well, that moment of almost equality was, um, was really special. Is he a podcast listener or not? Yeah, he is. He, he'll okay. definitely listen to this. If not, I'll play it throughout the house. All right, play it throughout the house on the speakers. <laughs> hey, stay safe. Um, you too. Stay close to your to your loved ones, and hopefully, next time I see you, we can have an actual corona and not have to worry about the world we're actually in. I've loved everything you're doing. I loved watching you via Costa Rica. Um, you're a star. Thanks for coming on the Howie Games. Thanks, Howie. Beers before a World Cup final. Gotta love that story, fair story, to put it mildly. Thanks to Elisa for sharing her wonderful story. How good. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Thanks to Das for making it all happen quicker than usual. To you all, again, stay safe and stay positive if possible. Another episode will be coming much sooner than usual, so keep an eye out for it. Subscribe and you won't miss it. Until then, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try If we try, try, try Listener